environment. It's not anymore just a demo environment. It's actually an innovation environment because you can have nice strategies, but if you don't bring them to life through concrete projects, it will not happen. Younger software engineers, they're looking for environments from a larger corporation like us, which gives them the benefit of a startup. I would never expect from anyone in the team something I wouldn't be ready to do. Meaning respect towards the team members plays an important role. I did not really appreciate the importance of just being yourself with a client. If you shield yourself, they cannot trust you. I don't believe you have it or not. I believe in that you can work very hard to acquire capabilities or skills or competences because hard work increases the probability of success. This is CRNet TV. My name is Hendrik Dekkers. I'm today here with Bernd Gross, who is the CTO of Software AG. And Bernd has more than 25 years of experience in uh, working for top technology companies. He worked uh, nine years for Nokia, for instance, uh, both in Germany, UK, Finland, and where he was head of business innovation, development, and also head of the machine-to-machine -machine business. Now, he became the CEO of Cumulosity, which was the machine-to-machine spin-off of Nokia uh, in 2012. And that company got acquired by Software AG in 2017, where today, Bernd, you are the CTO. Uh, you have a master in ICT and you have an MBA from the London Business School. Very warm welcome, Bernd. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, Bernd, maybe to, uh, to get started is, could you, in a nutshell, tell us what does Software AG stands, stand for today? Software AG is one of the leading uh, infrastructure software companies. Mm -hmm. uh, we are the second biggest software company in Germany, mm -hmm. and if I'm not mistaken, the third one in Europe. Okay. Yeah? So we're really, in that sense, a big player. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you look at uh, software companies globally, we are just below 5,000 people. Mm -hmm. So we are a smallish player if you compare us you know, with companies like Microsoft or Oracle or IBM. Yeah. But I would say we are a very focused company. In the areas we focus in, we are leading. You know, we are very recognized, you know, Forrester, Gartner, uh, a recognized leader in the uh, product areas we're focusing on, you know. Uh, some examples, yes. you know, for, for example, we are uh, one of the leading uh, integration uh, platform provider with our uh, well-known brand WebMessage. Mm -hmm. WebMessage is deployed uh, in almost 50% of all Fortune uh, 100 companies mm -hmm. uh, globally. Uh, we are deploying um, real-time analytics platforms to the banking segment. Okay. We have uh, a market share of 25% in that segment mm -hmm. with our Apama analytics engine. And we are one of the leading uh, platform provider in the IoT domain. We just recently got positioned in the Magic Quadrant as mm -hmm. the number one okay. for industrial Internet of Things platforms, which we supply globally uh, across across the industries, you know, yep. in uh, you know smart city cases, but also in a lot of industrial Internet of Things mm -hmm. cases. So, a leader in uh, a number of different segments, right? Leader in the number of so the the, the infrastructure software we are focusing on. Yeah. Uh, because of our size, mm -hmm. uh, we have to be either number one or two. Yeah. 
Otherwise, it wouldn't work. If you are like a, a big shop, like 100,000 employees, etc., you have a very different way of working, mm -hmm. then you might, you know, have a profitable business if you have some segments you're not dominating. Yep. But in our case, it's, it's not like that. In the areas we are working in, yep. we have to be number one to at least number three okay. globally. And that makes us different because our mindset is different. Our DNA, how we work is different because mm -hmm. even so we are only, you know, as I mentioned, you know, below 5,000 people company, we have to be a leader. Mm -hmm. So we have a very strong, in our DNA, there's a strong leadership uh, uh, dimension in that sense. Yeah. So uh, in the uh, software again, you have the machine to machine, the uh, industrial industry of things. Yeah. As, uh, business, as you call it. Yeah. So that is, is that a commonality uh, business? And, and because I understand you're heading that part of the business. Yeah, so um, when I joined Software GE, mm -hmm. actually we always have a, an interesting uh, perspective on that. So I, I remember our uh, previous CEO, he was introducing me with, uh, yeah, Bernd is one of the co-founders and uh, the CEO of Cumulosity, which mm -hmm. we acquired. And now he's, uh, you know, uh, in our management team. Mm -hmm. uh, I always then actually correct him saying, uh, uh, by the way, I was the co-founder and CEO of Comolosity and I selected Software AG <laughs> to get acquired from you. So we always made that joke, you know. But uh, in, in a sense, um, the, the business reasoning, when you, um, when you build up an, a startup company and you, try, you start globalizing, internationalizing yeah. it, and, and you have a company like Software G active in 70 countries globally yeah. with a strong portfolio in what they're doing. And there's a, a logical you know, a merit between these two companies yeah. because I, I knew that Software G will be able to scale up the IoT business yeah. uh, in a much faster, more professional and, uh, a way as I would be able to do it alone. Yeah. Uh, maybe a small anecdote. I opened up an office in Singapore uh -huh. when we were still an independent company, you know, and... Um, and, and you know it's difficult to hire a managing director you don't really know and you know set up the, uh, the controlling systems we also opened up an office and uh, you know registered a uh, corporation in delaware yeah. you know in the us <laughs> and so on so we really started to internationalize yeah. out of europe but I, it was very very difficult yeah. so i really felt you know doing that in 70 countries for example like software has yeah. you know will be uh, will be 10 years plus yeah. Uh, you know, uh, activity. And, and therefore, you know, um, the joining software AG, joining forces and building the IoT and uh, analytics business as a separate line of business yeah. um, was a, a perfect fit. Make a lot of sense. So you play two roles today. You're heading the uh, IoT business and you are the CTO of Software AG in Global. Is that correct? So yeah, I'm the managing director of our yep. um, IoT business. Actually, the, the office you're visiting today is the Cumulosity GmbH, so to speak. Yep. Yeah. So I'm uh, a managing director of that unit, as well as I'm the uh, CTO of the Software AG Group. Yep. Yeah, that's correct. And I started that role uh, beginning of the year. Okay. And you told me that the office of uh, Cumulosity is in Dusseldorf and the reason was you had to choose where <laughs> you could put the office and you're from Dusseldorf. No, I, <laughs> yeah, so, so when we uh, started with Cumulosity 2012, uh -huh. okay. um, we actually, that's a kind of interesting story, we started in California, in mm -hmm. Mountain View, and we innovated 
the idea of an IoT platform in California, in Silicon Valley. But when we felt actually, um, it was four of us. So we start with four people, so very small startup. Um, and, and we felt actually our strength is B2B. Mm -hmm. And we also felt that our industrial knowledge, um, you know, was actually uh, an asset for us. Mm -hmm. Whereas in California, even today, when I'm, for example, speaking there at a conference, let's say, you know, IoT World uh, in, in, Mount, in mm -hmm. Santa, Santa, uh, Santa Clara, um, I still, when I'm meeting people there, I'm still feeling they have a very focused consumer orientation in how they see the world. Um, and, um, and, and, and then they think about IoT, they think about variables or they think about consumer products. They only started maybe two years, three years ago, a lot of companies in startups in Silicon Valley really to think about B2B okay. IoT uh, enterprises mm -hmm. and, and, and B2B middleware software yeah. in a sense. Yeah. And so we, we actually thought, we, we kind of felt that is the, um, uh, that already in 2012, so we decided, hey, it would increase probably the, 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 our probability to make it a successful uh, startup if we would relocate. And we decided to relocate, uh, then we decided actually do that in Germany because <laughs> I'm a German and we, you know, by coincidence decided to do it in Düsseldorf because, you know, actually not only me, but uh, the key team has been uh, originally from Düsseldorf. Okay. So tell me, ex this IoT business, uh, Cumulosity, this solution, what, what exactly do your uh, software solutions do? Okay, so, you know, when we started, the, the innovation was clearly um, in the first phase uh, towards the understanding that um, the market is fundamentally changing. We saw hardware prices going down. You know, the prices to connect things, machines, pumps, cars, uh, whatever you have in mind, the price to connect them, these modules and modems, the price was dropping constantly. We also saw that the connectivity prices you know, to, to transport the or data, to yeah. transmit the data from A to B, from the machine to the internet, um, was also dropping dramatically. You know, actually today we have companies or players in the market who offer you for 10 euros for 10 years connectivity. Think about that. So one euro a year. Mm -hmm. so, um, so, so, but however, we felt there was something missing. Mm -hmm. So uh, connectivity cost was dropping. Um, hardware cost to connect these machines, modems, mm -hmm. gateways, and so on, were dropping. But the solutioning costs were not. So how to generate value on top of the data once you have it yeah. in your data store, in your wherever you store it, and then how to create solutions in, a, in an efficient and, and, and convenient way. Yeah. And we felt actually a cloud platform you know, which normalizes the integration layer so that you can use the same software tools again and again and again, will help to reduce fundamentally the solution cost. That's what the platform does. Okay. So the platform, you know, has on one hand speaks to any type of machines with any type of protocols, you know, you have these kind of specific, you know, languages yep. which these machines speak. I always say actually we speak the, the, the language of the machine in a sense. So we kind of take that and normalize this into a data model which is then uh, accessible by the same software blocks 
and it doesn't really matter is it a car or you know a, a motorbike or yeah. a boat or a machine or a pump which is connected at the end of yeah. the day and that's the true that's the innovation we we um, we came up with yeah. and then the applications on top of that normalized data are like analytical systems or are uh, real-time regulation systems or what, what is the what are the applications on top of that yeah so that really depends on the use case on the segment etc but you know out of the box with clients use our platform they get uh, an IOT device management mm -hmm. so with that they can do alarm management of okay. the machine you know do uh, software management like firmware management they can also do configuration management remote configuration management and so on so they get out of the box, an application which is called IoT device management. They get data applications like visualization, you know, dashboarding tools yeah. and so on, so that they can visualize them. But they also get more sophisticated analytics tools like streaming analytics, so that you can have a real-time streaming. You get, let's say, data coming in, in uh, and, and you can correlate that data. You can uh, deploy analytics uh, receipts mm -hmm. Uh, to identify, you know, events which are of interest to you. Let's say a machine, you know, starts, uh, stops working or the supply chain uh, uh, events. And based on these events, then you can again then uh, initiate actions. Okay. You know. Could you give maybe one or two uh, uh, examples of most innovative ways that, that your platform is being used by your clients? Sure. Maybe one example I like in terms of the scale mm -hmm. um, is Nordex. Nordex is a wind turbine manufacturer in northern Germany, mm -hmm. actually out of Hamburg. And they have an installed base for wind turbines um, of uh, about 7,000 wind turbines okay. deployed globally. And that's from a power production, it's about 25 gigawatt power production. To give you a feeling what that means, it's about 30, so 30 uh, coal-fired power plants. Mm -hmm. So it's renewable energy yep. which replaces uh, 30 coal-fired power plants. And each of these wind turbines generates a massive amount of data. Actually, uh, every day it's uh, one, uh, it's one uh, gigabyte data coming from that wind turbine. And in order to manage, uh, to operational manage, and to, to improve the efficiency of these uh, wind turbines, you know, um, Nordic decided to use software AGs, Cumulosity IoT platform, or cloud and edge. So that's one of our technology advantages mm -hmm. that we have um, a an, an distributed technology with the same API structure on both sides. And with that, they actually then do remote management and control for the wind turbines, but also do analytics. In a, in a traditional analytics fashion, uh, they, they aim to improve the energy production uh, KPI. So the cost of energy production is one of the key KPIs and they're using it to, to lower their costs. Mm -hmm. yeah. So they have seven terabytes of data. If they have 7,000 of these turbines and one does a gigabyte per day, so they have te seven terabytes so, a day. So they have, uh, they have a massive amount of data. However, and that's why we're using Edge there, not all of that is uh, uh, pumped into the cloud. Mm -hmm. so, um, 
So that's uh, that's uh, you know the, the the edge computing you know is a very important enabler in many of the industrial Internet of Things technologies, where you kind of aggregate data a lot because not all the information is relevant after five minutes or so, which you are collecting them. So so in that sense, we optimizing the the, the connectivity with uh, aggregation of data. Okay, let's talk a bit about your role as a CTO of Software AG. Uh, I mean, Software AG is a 50-year-old software company. That's right. So what is your role How uh, and what, what kind of changes are you making in, 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 in Software AG and your role? Yeah. So I started only this year, so mm -hmm. uh, uh, January this year. So it's now, uh, yeah, eight, uh, seven months and, and something, uh, almost eight months. And you know what, what I did as a, a first, um, a first initiative was that I wanted to um, uh, change, or let's say, um, add another viewpoint on innovations mm -hmm. uh, in terms of how you how you innovate in today's agile world. You know, if you if you think about it, uh, the role of a CTO has fundamentally changed. In in today's world, um, it is extremely difficult to to forecast what is happening in uh, three or five years from now. So that means you, you have to um, have an, a, a certain agility to your uh, business uh, decisions. You have to have a system and, uh, and a way of working which makes you, um, which enables you to react on market changes, on new disruptions, on new trends, new business opportunities. So that means basically the way we, we, we are working cannot be like uh, um, a traditional software company with, you know, a roadmapping, a, a three-year yeah. roadmapping type of yeah. initiative, which is actually quite standard in today's, uh, uh, even in software engineering uh, world, you know, larger companies are still, you know, roadmapping their products in that way. Um, and, and even, you know, we also have a lot of industrial clients using our software, and they have actually seven years, you know, product life cycles, including software then, you know. So that's, I, I kind of, fundamentally feel that needs to change. Mm -hmm. So what we did then is, in order to make that tangible and practical for the teams, we initiated, uh, for example, um, in a co-innovation. Yeah? But co-innovation in, in the true meaning of co-innovation, meaning that there's, in, in our definition, there's always three parties on the table. Mm -hmm. It's the end user really using the software. Mm -hmm. Often we have partners in between you know, like a um, system integrated partner or, you know, a go-to-market partner or, you know, someone who offers actually uh, uh, our software uh, in, a, in a reselling channel mode or through a cloud offering, and then us. So what we, we, we move from just uh, our first uh, point to the market, which is often the partner or yep. the, the, the channel partner, or uh, towards uh, the end user. So we incorporated and demanded in all co-innovations that the end user is part of it. Mm -hmm. so, so that helps us from an outside-in perspective to get, um, to get a perspective, uh, a different perspective on board. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's in a, a big program with a, a, a few million euros uh, budget behind, which we are orchestrating and we basically um, deciding if a co-innovation makes sense or not. Maybe let me give you one or two yeah, examples. In Australia, we did that with uh, a partner of us, which is Telstra. You know, it's a telco carrier, the, 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 the main uh, tele telecommunication company in Australia. 
they're using our technology to run a cloud offering, Telstra branded, towards their enterprise customers. Mm -hmm. So they're selling actually our, our, our software with Telstra branded uh, offering um, and towards their customers. So now they wanted to enter a new domain, which was utilities. Mm -hmm. um, and they felt that they, uh, you know, they wanted uh, not to just uh, develop applications in a traditional way, but use new ways of working. So they engaged with us and we proposed them to use our uh, co-innovation methodology, mm -hmm. where we then ended up with inviting uh, Southeast Water, it's a water utility in Australia, to sit, uh, to come together with us, to Telstra and us, and we then, uh, 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 you know, innovated around uh, the, the very scare, uh, scarce uh, resource water in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and, and managing in real time now the water pipeline system, the distribution system for water. And that's all empowered. Um, you know, we have various phases, obviously, um, you know, the first phases has been implemented, now the next phase starts. But it's all, you know, um, empowered through our software uh, products. Mm -hmm. But uh, the last mile of real differentiated value add comes from that co-innovation because that really gave us the domain-specific know-how and the problem statement so that our software could be then, uh, uh, you know, optimized to fill, fulfill that problem. Yeah. So to implement a culture of co-creation, co-innovation, how do you do that in practice? Well, that's a, that's a good question. So um, it is, of course, a mindset mm -hmm. shift um, because what you have, in a sense, you have a very strong product management function in any type of product company like we are. Yeah. Product managers are, are the power. They're the king. They're the kings. kings. <laughs> and they're the kings. And, and they have a, 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 a very powerful role to play, mm -hmm. yeah? uh, especially the uh, uh, both out, outbound and inbound type of product manager. Mm -hmm. And of course, we have to um, engage with them and to agree with them that the, the future way of, co uh, of, of, of uh, developing the products from an outside-in perspective is through co-creation, co-innovation. And I'm not saying, and uh, you know, in a sense, in these discussions we, we have had, I, I was never in a, in a way that I told them, you have to do it like this. Mm -hmm. my, 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 my way of communication is more like, I'm trying to emphasize the changes in the market. I'm trying to emphasize what is happening, that we have to have this flexibility, the agility. Yeah. I'm also trying to emphasize that, that uh, there must be more ways of innovating than simply pushing a product roadmap yeah. into, the, into the market. Mm -hmm. uh, so that the kind of, uh, we, we need to probably do that and continue that. We do continue that as well because mm -hmm. road mapping is an important part of our product management. Yeah. But we increasingly now also have initiatives like co-creation from an outside in to influence um, the, the development of our so changing the mindset, the way that people work, uh, that your, your product teams, do you need to give them training? Do you need to give them new tools? What are the, the, the very practical things that they need to do different and, 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 and what are the new capabilities that they need? Yeah. So um, when you look at product management in a, as an, um, let's say, as a very important uh, mm -hmm. a function within a product company, yeah. like our software product company, um, we have very, very bright, very smart people in that domain. Mm -hmm. We have to. 
I mean, that's per definition, you know, uh, and, and they're very, very smart people. And what we, what we have to um, uh, um, uh, enable as a journey is, is something which, um, which they, most of them know what's happening. They are very outward oriented. That's why they're doing product management. But to, to some extent, sometimes, um, you know, we, we, when, we, when you are uh, in the daily work, having to manage your product and all the other difficulties. You have customer meetings, you have sometimes also, you know, not so nice customer meetings, so-called escalation meetings, <laughs> which happen, you know. You have all of that. You tend sometimes to, to deprioritize the uh, future uh, 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 anticipation of market trends, of issues, and so on. And that's exactly what we do in the CT office. So we see ourselves as a partner of our existing product management team, where we actually dedicate senior um, uh, software solution architects to help fill a gap a, a, a busy product manager is, is sometimes not able to fulfill. And, and you know what? The, the ones who understand that, because it's, the, it's, it's very visible once you start identifying mm -hmm. that and discussing about yeah. that, they, they actually uh, appreciate and embracing yeah. um, uh, the initiative, what we have around that uh, uh, outside-in innovation as well as strategic um, uh, uh, definition of our uh, future. So you're working closer and closer with your end clients? Uh, you do that through your partners, through co-creation, and so how do you use these? What what are they, and how do you use them? So another another way for that outside-in thinking. So one is that co-innovation, co-creation, um, uh, a new uh, you know dialogue with the product management in that sense, and uh, uh, another one is also closer uh, uh, industry uh, uh, corporations. Mm -hmm. uh, we also do. Um, you know, that's, uh, you know, very, you know, strategic to us, you know, um, and to have a very, very deep uh, industry orchestrated corporations that gives us also an additional outside-in perspective. Um, also university, uh, a new way of engaging with universities. Uh, we do that currently, uh, we are setting up a partnership with uh, RWTH in Aachen, which is one of the uh, well-known technology universities, uh, uh, at least in, in Germany. Mm -hmm. We actually want to move into some of their uh, facilities where they have uh, production facilities set up, you know, real, you know, uh, uh, production environments. And they are uh, then, uh, you know, continuously optimizing production environments. And we are now contributing with our software technology to help them to really do industry 4.0 projects in a university uh, lab. So that's also important. That gives us feedback to our R&D and our product management to, again, you know, get a different perspective in addition to our road mapping. Now, the biggest challenge any type of organization is having, including software G, is executing. You know, there's so many ideas. There's so <laughs> many things to do. That's why I'm, you know, I'm, I always try to, um, you know, you can have nice strategies, but if you don't bring them to life through concrete projects, it will not happen. So, so, um, and all of these initiatives I just mentioned, yeah. they are tangible. They are really concrete people doing something and involving and, uh, and, and, and make it happen. I think that's the most important role I see as a CTO is that, that in today's, today's environment, we have to act fast and try it out, do the next thing and really, um, you know, 
um, uh, don't do too many things at once. I would agree to that. But, um, but not just try to define something for half a year before you start executing. That's not anymore yeah. what you should do. So your role is to inspire, to uh, help people to work in a quicker, uh, more agile ways, to help them to co-create. Innovation happens at the edges in, in collaboration with universities and, 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 and I'm, I'm holding the budgets for that and financing a lot of this mm -hmm. and you know creating cross-functional teams for that, for uh -huh. example. So I'm I'm a very strong believer in in uh, you know if you look at uh, organizational structures, um, in, in many senses you still have these top-down, uh, very hierarchical yeah. setups, you know. And they, they, I mean, they have been built for a certain reason, which I fully get and I appreciate that. On, on the other hand, when you look at uh, today's disruptions and innovations and what's happening, I do feel that um, the best teams are not always the teams which sit together in one silo. Mm -hmm. I do think the best teams are the teams which come together across different departments, across different organizations, mm -hmm. so-called cross-functional teams. Yeah. And they are so much more efficient mm -hmm. than uh, you know, if you would just task something top-down to a department or a team lead. Yeah. Yeah? So that's a strong, um, a st I'm a strong believer in empowering cross-functional teams. And we have been doing this within the CTO office, we're kind of role modeling that, yeah. and would like to expand that across the company. I can imagine with your experiences in a startup, I mean, you started with, with a team of four people and then grew it into a successful- 250 uh, is now 250. The, the size, yeah. So I can imagine that that's also what you bring to the table here, that you have this more agile startup way of thinking and, and how to uh, manage customer expectations, deliver quickly MVPs and so on. So if you, if you think, um, think about, I used to be um, 18 years in corporate environments, mm -hmm. 18 years corporate environment, large corporates. So I, I kind of always see both sides, right? Yeah. Um, and it was very painful for me when we did um, uh, the spin-off. Uh, we had no customer, no revenues. Yeah, so uh, we had money. To, uh, we got some money. <laughs> that's some money. right. You know, that's that's the good word. The good news was that we we had a starting point. Yeah. Yeah. But still, I I remember um, um, we went to the first clients, and um, we introduced the platform. We had the product, the platform, very well engineered, beautiful platform. So then the client asked us, "So so where's the platform? Can you show it to me?" I think, "No, I can't show it to you. What do you mean? It's a software platform." Yeah, I want to see it. What do you mean you want to see it? Yeah, where's the user interface? No, no, we don't have a user interface yet. So, so what happened is when, you be, when you're in a corporate environment, mm -hmm. you are developing a platform with uh, non-functional capabilities first in mind, mm -hmm. like, you know, multi-tenancy, high availability, you know, and, and uh, you know, this uh, 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 elasticity, these this cloud capabilities, and you don't have really the the, you don't see immediately what the client wants to do, what the customer wants to do with it. So, so we, we actually had a very frustrating first six months, you can imagine, <laughs> having a very nice platform but couldn't yeah. really uh, uh, demonstrate that. So we needed to add a user interface yeah. to it, which we did. Um, um, and we, um, we actually, uh, in, the, in the later years, we, got, we actually got praise for the clarity of the user interface, so we put a lot of effort into that. But um, but you know, if you think about it from a corporate environment, uh, you wouldn't do that. 
if you would be a startup, if you would start with a startup, you wouldn't think about the scalability, no, horizontal, horizontal yeah. scalability, and so you would just do the interface, the, yeah. the user interface, the application, and the other other stuff will come later on once you grow. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, and we we were in that sense today. I would say we were lucky doing a proper platform before we yeah. did the user interface. Yeah. Uh, but in the first uh, in the first half year or year as as, a, as an own independent company yeah. was quite painful and and that is of course an, a knowledge uh, not only me my, my, the team the core team of the Comolosti team and uh, you know experienced business leaders have that understanding and they see two sides of the yeah. of the coin and 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 I think that's something we we as a team as a CTO office team really try to get into the company. Mm -hmm. You talk a lot about team and, 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 and how your team has a, has a role, needs to be a role model for the rest of the company. Tell me a little bit about your management style. What is your, I mean, are you the enlightened dictator? What is, the, what is your <laughs> management style? How do you build and, and, and make teams successful? Yeah, so that's always a very good, <laughs> a very good question, yeah. And, um, and I think the, um, uh, you know, uh, I remember uh, running through different, you know, courses in in the previous roles, how to uh, motivate teams and so on. But yeah. if I would um, if I would boil that down to one very important part is that I would never expect from anyone in the team something I wouldn't be ready to do. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of um, meaning respect towards the team members is plays an important role. Mm -hmm. Trust, respect, so. So I want people to feel comfortable. I'm not saying they should be, uh, you know, too. Uh, they should be, you know, living in their uh, comfort zone. I'm pushing people out of the comfort zone, actually a lot. But I want to uh, ensure that they feel they are in a trusted, open environment, and they respect. We respect each other. Yep. That is for me uh, the, the the foundation of everything. If the trust isn't there. I don't think you can do much yeah. as a leader. If the trust is there, then the work starts, <laughs> uh, because then you have actually to do also, uh, you know, to to uh, encourage people taking on ownership, you know, mm -hmm. empower people. Yeah. So I'm, um, you know, when you would say once the trust is there, I'm I'm someone who is that kind of an empowerment person. I would like how to. How do you do that exactly? How do you empower people in your team? Yeah. So. With empowerment mm -hmm. comes a great responsibility. Okay. When, because uh, if you don't coordinate empowerment, if, if people are not aware of what empowerment means, you create chaos. So with empowerment comes a clear definition of outcome. So what do you want to achieve with that exercise? Yeah. So um, the, the ownership of business objectives is the flip side of the empowerment. And that's how I'm doing it, yeah. how we are doing it as a team. We, we, we do actually uh, identify uh, uh, initiatives, we identify our goals, business goals or whatever goals, and then we define together the outcome, the business outcomes we want to achieve. Yeah. And by doing that as a team exercise, we set already the objectives mm -hmm. and we also en ensure that it's structured, that we don't overlap or and uh, we, we ensure it's, it's a smooth process, but people also get the understanding that they are in charge of delivering it. Yeah. And I think that's, the, that's kind of um, um, uh, opposite to micromanagement, right? So uh, you would give tasks away yeah. and not responsibilities. 
in, and in my view, um, we should give uh, responsibilities, we should distribute responsibilities through empowerment with clear business objectives. Yeah. So, th so that's how you create efficient and productive teams, by empowering them, by giving them freedom, but also given that a res responsibility as well. That's right, and um, and being there, you know, so it's not only me, that there's a lot of, um, you know, experience in the team. Yeah. Um, personally, you know, um, I, I see a lot of coaching happening between the team members itself, you mm -hmm. know. Um, because they have, uh, you know, diverse uh, uh, teams, they have different uh, backgrounds, and and I think that's that's also the, the the very important that you don't, you know, create uh, 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 you know Rambo style of execution agents mm -hmm. that you understand or that they create an environment, a trusted environment where the people really understand that they can at any point of time ask for um, support, different views, for, for, for having uh, time for uh, a discussion. And, and, I, and, and that's not only always focused to me. It, it shouldn't be. It should be, it should be um, a distributed and, and, and joint exercise. Yeah. And that's what's happening. If a functional team, if I see a functional team, I see that a lot happening, that coaching between the team members happens. Then I kind of sense it works. And how easy is it for you to attract people and to then make them successful and to build successful teams? Is it is that a challenge, or or is it uh, is it easy for you because you're still a software company, exciting new technology and so on? Yeah, I think the um, talent uh, uh, talent uh, acquisition or talent or however you call that plays a more and more important role. It's mm. it's difficult. It's I think I. I, I, you know, we have been uh, looking to hire 20 more people just on this side since yep. quite a while, uh, and um, it's difficult. And why? I mean, let's let's give it to the world. Why would they want and come to work for you and and, and the team here? What is so excited, exciting in working here? Yeah. I think the um, the technology we have, mm -hmm. the the business focus, um, and the the way we work. Is um, it's a it's a nice uh, combination of a very small startup, mm -hmm. while at the same time being with a company of five thousand people. So you get the best of two worlds. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, um, startups. You know, a lot of people go to Berlin or to other places where they, uh, you know, Brussels and so on, where they create their companies and startups. You know, the reality is most of them fail. Yeah. Right. So uh, there's always a positive story to startups. Mm -hmm. You know. By you know, it's also risk, um, uh, uh, risk to move in the pure startup environment. Yeah. So, so personally, you know, I I see a trend that more and more uh, um, younger uh, software engineers, for example, they they understanding they understand want you know understand that trade off, and they're looking for environments from a larger corporation like us, yeah. which gives them the benefit of that flexible and and, and empowerment driven. Uh, uh, agility of a startup. Yeah. Look, look at our office, you know, I don't know if you have a uh, chance to walk through our office mm -hmm. uh, in that environment we hear the media harbor, it's kind yeah. of a perceived uh, nice environment next to the River Rhine, yeah. you know, you can walk outside, you have a, a lunch opportunities quite a lot and mm -hmm. after work there's some, you know, bars and places, here's an open office environment, that's all uh, 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 possible not only in a startup company. Yeah. That's also possible to offer in a corporate. Because environment. you've worked for large corporates, you worked 
your own very small startup. Now you're somewhere in the middle. Yeah. What are the advantages of the three different ways of, of working? Big corporate, I mean, where you are now, mid-size organization in, in, in a stable software company or a startup. What, what did you enjoy in these three environments? Well, they are all very different. I can and, imagine. Uh, and I, I think, you know, I had to, um, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to say one is better than the other. But, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, with the hint side of my experience, I would have, think, I think I would, if I could choose, I would select the, 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 the mid-sized software company like Software as my starting opportunity to build my professional career. Because it gives you the whole bandwidth. And, yeah. um, uh, you know, starting with a large corporate, uh, a lot of corporates struggle at the moment, as you know. Um, they have their source of, of uh, secrets, uh, source of, uh, of, of, of profitability. Mm -hmm. uh, but then when you think about uh, uh, staying ahead of the game, um, uh, innovating, uh, there's a lot of challenges yeah. some of the large corporates have. Yeah. And they have their, all their initiatives to, to overcome that. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure many will do, but they are struggling yeah. with the speed and agility of today's business life. Now, uh, the smaller ones I mentioned, it's very fine. It's nice to work in a startup environment company. You small team, very like a family yeah. environment and uh, very nice. But as I mentioned, it's a bit not, risky. Uh, it's a bit risky yeah. Yeah? And if you want to have a two, three years journey to your uh, first job or even longer, five years, whatever you have, and, and see the first uh, professional steps happening within one company, um, I think the, uh, a mid-sized company offers you the best of both worlds. So let's talk a bit more about your uh, leadership style. What do you think that your people, what do they say about you when you're not around? That's a good question. <laughs> I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Next question, please. <laughs> well, what do you think? Um, what do you hope that they say? If they talk about me, I, I hope actually they're not talking about me, but they're talking about their job and their tasks and, and our responsibilities. Yeah. But let's say if they would uh, talk about me, I think they would, um, they would usually appreciate uh, the, um, the combination of uh, pushing um, them in out of the comfort zone into new areas, but having fun in a trusted environment. So I think usually people um, appreciate that I'm very down to earth. I don't, exp you know, as I mentioned earlier, I, I would never request anything from anyone which I wouldn't be ready yeah. myself. I sometimes, you know, I'm asking one of our SVPs, hey, can you please clean up the meeting room? We get a new client coming. Yeah because I have to do something else. But they are doing it and no, no one is somehow because, uh, because I'm doing it as well, you know. So it's kind of, we, we, we need to, as a team, we need to have that, 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 that trusted basis. And I think that's something in a positive way they would say. Yeah. Now the negative ones, what would they say? <laughs> um, am I too ambitious? So, um, you know, um, you know I'm, I'm a bit, um, I would like to see things happening. You know, I guess, I guess that's uh, the only way that we can get forward. No? That that's right. And sometimes, you know, I'm I'm stretching it too much. I, okay. I would say, I'm pushing too much. And um, uh, and I think that's kind of the uh, you know something. If someone would say something in that sense uh, about me, um, that I'm uh, uh, sometimes too pushy. Mm -hmm. uh, if especially if I see things not happening, you know, 
um, has various reasons, but you know, also with empowerment. It doesn't mean that you know uh, things shouldn't happen. It's actually opposite. With the empowerment principle, it should happen faster because it's the person's own style how to move thing, uh, drive things forward. Yeah. But if I don't see that happening, I'm getting impatient, and then uh, of course, then I, I'm uh, I'm following more closer. And I'm following up uh, issues more closely. You shared with us that your Myers-Briggs type personality profile is ENFG, also known as the protagonist. And so ENFGs, they are natural born leaders. They are passionate, have a high level of charisma. Typical jobs include politicians, coaches, teachers, and they like to reach out and inspire others to achieve uh, and to do good in the world. Typically, people with your profile, they get great pride and joy in guiding others to work together and to improve themselves and the community. How does that sounds resonate for you? <laughs> <laughs> sounds too good to be uh, true, you know? It's amazing, <laughs> eh? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, yeah. That's an interesting one when you do a personality <laughs> check, you know? Well, yeah. it's a self-assessment, so... <laughs> yeah, it's a self-assessment, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, these strengths that come with this profile, and then you tell me which words that pop out is um, people with this personality profile, they're tolerant, they're reliable, charismatic, altruistic, and natural leaders. Which sounds correct or which you say, mm, I'm not sure about. They all sound good? Yeah, so um, Tolerant, I would think so. Yeah, that's that's definitely. When you achieve your goals, then you're tolerant. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it depends how you define it. Yeah. No, but uh, but I would think uh, you know, um, uh, what people are you know, tolerance has various aspects. But uh, for example, uh, toler tolerance towards stress mm -hmm. is something. Um, you know, for example, I'm I'm tolerant um, towards a hectic lifestyle. Okay. You know, um, I'm actually probably in the middle of a hectic lifestyle, but I like that, you know, that's how I, I thrive in a sense. Yeah? Okay. Um, so there's a few of that um, attitudes I would, would agree to. Um, so you're stress resistant? Uh, stress resistant to a certain level, I would think. Uh, I, I'm, let's say it's always um, relative, right? Mm -hmm. um, so my wife would say yes, you know. That's good. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also many of the working colleagues would say that. Uh, but then I also have, you know, a, a friend of mine, you know, I'm admiring him mm -hmm. for his resistance, stress resistance. So I, there's always this kind of way of uh, well, How do you it. manage your stress? What is it? Do you do specific things? I mean, do you go bicycling? Do you do photography? Do you do Zen meditation? What is it that, that you do to manage your stress? I can switch off somehow, you know. I, I don't know why, but uh, you know, if I have a, a very, you know, um, stressful situation, um, when I'm at home, for example, mm -hmm. I can actually switch off from that situation. So I think that's very important that you have phases where you can relax and mm -hmm. and let your your body uh, recover in a sense, yep. you know. And and you know, how do I do that? It's difficult to say. So I actually I had a. Uh, I had a, we had a corporate event uh, um, 
year ago or so, I can't remember, and we, uh, we had a, a, a presenter coming over, uh, uh, Michael Gross. I don't know if you remember, uh, remember him. He's an Olympic uh, medal winner in swimming. Yeah. You know, they, I think he's... It's family, Gross. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Almost, yeah. No, but actually I had a very nice discussion with him, oh, and yeah. we talked exactly about that point. Because he actually um, explained that he believes he won uh, because he did the ex he, he he went the extra mile, mm -hmm. you know. He had that mindset of extra mile, which I I'm I'm completely convinced that's true. Yeah. You know, um, you need to you need to um, uh, uh, drive and and, 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 and and push the extra mile to be really successful in what you're doing. Yeah. And and I I I, I ask him exactly the same question. I ask him, so what do you do? Because the the drawback when you do the extra mile, mm -hmm. you always try to do your best. Is you need to relax at some point of time. You need to stay concentrated. Yeah. And if you always drive the extra mile, you're losing concentration. And, and then you're making mistakes and so on, and you're getting powered, uh, you know, uh, uh, you're losing the, the whole energy and so on. So, uh, and he told me that his secret is really to force himself for 10 minutes a day to completely switch off the brain. His trick was that he watches out of a car when he drives, you know, it's not when he's not driving, but he's uh, uh, sitting in the car and forces himself to watch what's happening on the street. And uh, you know what? I, I think I have a similar thing when I'm coming home. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I didn't, wouldn't have defined that before speaking to him. Mm -hmm. I was, a, it's a similar thing. It's kind of, I'm forcing myself switch off yeah uh, and, and and I do that while I'm I trying not to think really you know I'm trying to to just to be present to at be home. present and, and and it takes a while before I then start with my private uh, mm -hmm. uh, business you know yeah. okay the um, development points with people with your profi uh, profile uh, or the um, Areas of improvement. That's the word I was uh, looking for. It feels a bit like uh, you like a, a management uh, uh, discussion now. So where well, you that's are, a good way uh, to, to, to get uh, to know you a little bit better. Uh, is the areas of development for some people with this profile is, is that they can be overly idealistic, sometimes too selfless, uh, sometimes too sensitive, and sometimes they struggle to make tough decisions. Do you recognize any of these and, and how have you overcome them? Because as a, as a leader, as a CTO of, of a technology company, you, you have to make tough decisions. Or they are all applicable in a sense. Uh, let's say I'm not trying to criticize your uh, uh, employee uh, management discussion we're having here they, they can <laughs> at the moment. But it's always uh, um, situational, mm -hmm. I believe. You know, it's, um, in, in certain situations, um, Obviously, um, you have to have make hard decisions. You know, um, I remember my, my uh, company I was working in beforehand. I won't, don't want to say the name now. It was a matter of survival. So the company needed to be restructured. So we had to make decisions in terms of uh, letting people go. That's tough for and you, I can imagine. That's that's a, that's a decision which is tough, but mm -hmm. um, it always depends on the perspective, and it's not easy to tell people. I agree, yeah. Especially if you have, um, uh, you know, if a, a, an emotional um, 
coefficient, or how do you call it in English, when you an EQ, uh, an EQ um, when you kind of um, you know exactly what's happening and what the other person is thinking, and and and, and that makes it even tougher sometimes, yep. you know. And um, and I I have to admit that's true, but then um, you know when you think about think it through the situation, mm -hmm. you 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 let twenty percent of the teams go, but you keep eighty percent. And, and, and that's why you do it, mm -hmm. I, you, because it's, uh, it's actually the, the motivation is a very positive motivation why you do it, but the decision is a tough decision and, and that helps me. Uh, that kind of thinking helps me to uh, uh, do tough decisions because I know um, there, there is not, not, not easy when you um, uh, uh, lead in a style I'm leading because I have a, a, a personal leadership style. Yep. Um, that, that, that it's, that's clear, but then on the other hand, um, for me it's also about um, if the team trusts me, you know, yeah. uh, I have also to uh, enforce and, and, and do things which ensures that, uh, for example, productivity and efficiency is, is up and running. Yeah. So. so I can imagine you have a very coaching style of, of working with your people, correct? That's right. Yeah. So, and how do you, and, and that it comes natural to you? that it's, you don't need to follow seven courses, that, that you're a natural coach and teacher and to get most out of, out of your people. Well, when I did my MBA at London Business School, right, mm -hmm. so I did a lot of um, uh, educations on uh, organizational behavior mm -hmm. styles, management styles, uh, teaching styles. Um, I was uh, actually naturally before uh, doing a lot of this, uh, or you know um, something, many things also in the wrong way, but you know the the, the 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 education at London Business School helped me to put things in a more academic perspective yep. and, and 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 rounded and, and and grounded me in a sense, you know, and and so it's not only um, just natural. I don't believe, you know, in uh, you, you have it or not. I, I believe in the in in that you can work very hard. To acquire yeah. capabilities or uh, skills or competences, and 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 that's but that's the that's the way I see it. So it's um, uh, uh, you know it, there's always a balance between uh, instincts and natural behaviors, and then the uh, you know um, the the yeah the, the capabilities the, that we acquire exactly. by doing learning by doing basically yes. right. Yeah. So. Trust is a very important value for, for, for you, can imagine. What are other values that uh, you find very important in your life? And let's, let's put the question like this. You have a seven-year-old son. Yeah. What are the values that you want him to, uh, to grow up with? Yeah, that's a good. So I, I want him to be a good football player. Is that enough? <laughs> if I say that, or that, do I for need any? Team? For yeah. which <laughs> yeah. team? Fortuna Düsseldorf, of oh, course. Of course. You know? <laughs> it's a local team. <laughs> so we are actually in the, in the first leagues on the Bundesliga since uh, a year yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. So you want him to be a team player? Yeah, no, but that's uh, football. That's important. Yeah, that's right. Important. That's right. Yeah. So I guess um, I want him to um, to appreciate hard work, honestly. So I I think that's uh, important for me. I do. You know, um, uh, uh, a friend of mine is a photographer, mm -hmm. and and when you watch him doing his job, 
it's quite amazing. He's not just taking a photo and saying, that's going to make my, my prize. I win the prize with that picture. But he is taking it so serious that he works hours and hours on one photo. Mm -hmm. And the probability that he gets a good outcome out of that is, is of course, much higher than you just take one photo. And, and, so, and, and so some people see then the outcome and think, hey, that's a lucky shot. It wasn't a lucky shot because he was working very hard to get that perfect picture in place, what is for him the per perfect yep. picture. That mindset, hard work, increases the probability of success. That's for me a very important mindset which I would like uh, my son to appreciate. Yeah. Bent, in, in, uh, in your career you had a lot of success, but I'm sure there was also a couple of failures in there. Uh, would you mind sharing us one of your most brilliant failures that you ever, uh, that you ever accomplished? That's a tough one. Eh? <laughs> so let me let me think about one. Is yeah, maybe it's. Um, uh, I don't cannot say the name of the mm -hmm. company, but um, I was responsible for um, for a long term uh, uh, acquisition of a client. Mm -hmm. it was actually um, a project with a, a few hundred million euros involvement. Mm -hmm. um, we worked, um, I think, eighteen months uh, lead time. We worked eighteen months on that project. And at the end of the day, it didn't work out. So the client deselected us from the process and uh, and uh, selected the competitor in that environment. And and why is that? Why was that a failure? Why I took it in, uh, as a personal failure was that um, the client um, stated that they did not trust us okay. in the engagement. And that's one of the worst things for you, not to be trusted. Exactly, that's one of the worst things. So when uh, and. This situation helped me actually to, before I kind of always separated internal and external in a, in a very strict way, the way I communicated and so on. Sort of, I don't know why, but I kind of felt that's a professional behavior, you know, you are at the customer side, you have your agenda and you are factual and you run through your, your topics. And I did not really uh, appreciate this as many years ago the, the importance of authenticity, our, 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 our system, uh, authenticity, the importance of a, a natural way of, um, of, of just being yourself also with a client so that mm -hmm. they kind of get to know you because that's the, if, they, if, you, if you shield yourself, they cannot trust you. So you need to be open. You need, you to, need to be authentic, authentic open, because open. people buy from people. People buy from people. And, 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 you know, and I was probably too young to fully appreciate and understand that. So I, I changed that. And uh, so it helped me to become a much, um, uh, a much more, a much stronger um, uh, and, and self-confident uh, uh, a person in in front of our clients and customers. Okay. So, so that is that is really kind of a tipping point experience. I felt you know we we lost that eighteen months work, and since I was heading the team, and the client tells to our management we didn't select you because of trust. <laughs> you can imagine what I had to listen to. You know when was when not that your best day. <laughs> no no, <laughs> but but you know what it it was a, a great. Um, after, with the hindsight, you know, uh, the benefit of hindsight was a great experience because uh, it really rounded uh, me as a person. Yeah. Okay. So, Bernd, in, in your professional life, when is it that you feel most happy? 
when you go home or start in the morning and say, well, this is really good? Yeah, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's a good one. So um, if I really feel we have achieved something, which uh, created something, so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually, let me answer it in a different way. I feel frustrated if I just finished my emails. Yeah? Because I feel that's so passive, you know, that's so doing emails for me is not really, I mean, it's part of the work, I know, but it's not what I want to achieve in business life because I want to drive something forward. Yep. And in many ways, email actually keeps you from doing things, driving things forward. So I feel very, very um, happy and satisfied if I can see that if I had a um, a great uh, workshop with a client, if we achieved a milestone, we released a new uh, release yep. uh, with functionalities, I, I feel uh, proud of being part of the team, achieving something. So kind of this kind of uh, an action-oriented outcome in a day is something personally I think that's kind of uh, makes my day, you know, or my weekend. You know? And in, in your career and in your life, who, who are the people that you look up to? Who are your mentors that you learned from and what and what did you learn from them? Yeah, I, I, you know, over my um, uh, 25 plus years uh, working experience, I had various, um, you know, uh, mini heroes, so to speak, my personal heroes in, mm -hmm. the com in companies and so on. And, you know, with uh, various different attitudes and I guess, um, you know, um, uh, 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 people helping me uh, uh, to to form myself to create my uh, my principles and I think that's very important. The ones I remember most are the ones who took time to help and coached me in a soft skills mm -hmm. because that's so important. And that's when you start, especially when you start your professional career, you think a lot of hard skill stuff, you know. You do. I remember I have been a product manager myself uh, and, uh, uh, many years back and you know I remember then I was actually so proud to know the roadmap and to even could, could uh, completely understand what on the coding side happened and, and so on. And, yep. but, but actually with the benefit of insight that was so not so important actually which I positioned as the most important things. Mm -hmm. and, I forgot to to um, ensure that the team was working efficient, that there was a, a, a continuous communication between the engineering team and the customers, which should, I should have moderated. So a lot of stuff. Um, and the, for me, the, uh, the the ones I remember, my managers or you know from different departments who who helped me to shape my soft skills, are the ones who who really um, you know helped me to. Um, to uh, you know, facilitate my professional career. Okay, so what would you advise younger people in your team or outside of, of Software AG that have the ambition to become CTO or digital leaders in, 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 in technology companies and that are young and ambitious? What, what would your advice to them be? On the, on the soft skill side, um, or let me start even uh, another in another way. I, I think the, the the focus towards the outcome mm -hmm. is so important. So meaning in, in our product uh, product software product uh, world, it means uh, the end user using your software. What do we want to achieve? What's the experience we want to create? That's so important, mm -hmm. and it's often so easily forgotten. 
so one advice is that uh, you know that needs, it needs training. It needs training and continuous reminding yourself. You need to rewire your brain to some sense, mm -hmm. because naturally it's sing, it's it's more focused towards your teammates, towards your cooperation, towards your environment. That's how we are as human beings. So taking a position outside of that environment towards the other end, so to speak, is a quite unnatural thing to do. And that's why it's, it's often forgotten by teams. So learning how to put yourself in the shoes of the customer? Yes, is that what you yes, yes. And that continuously. Yeah. Not just once a day or something like this, but continuously being the advocate of the customer mm -hmm. and the end customer. Yeah? Yeah. So by the way, you know, um, there's a difference between customer and end customer. So the end customer is really using it. Yeah. Sometimes we have customers who are paying us, but they're not using it. You know, these rather complex value chains yeah. and, and distribution chains yeah. you have nowadays. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Now let's, let's look a bit into, into the future. You're clearly you're ambitious, you're hardworking, you have a, a, a vision of, of, of where the company is going. So where do you see uh, software AG and the machine-to-machine -machine IoT business in, in this in five years? Of course, it's impossible to predict the future, but w where do you see things going? Mm. So I think uh, software AG has a unique position at the moment. Mm -hmm. you know, we have um, uh, three very, very important capabilities as, uh, as, uh, our, in our software, uh, 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 software portfolio. Mm -hmm. Uh, one is integration. We are one of the leading integration middleware provider globally. You know, I mentioned to you, uh, you know, 25% of the banking uh, segment uses analytics from us. Yeah. Um, so uh, I would call it application of operational analytics and, 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 and um, you know, it's also a very strong area we have. Um, and uh, IoT analytics, maybe together, you put it together, yeah. and then the, the, the platform uh, technology we have uh, through Convolocity acquisition, yeah. and we have deployed it globally over, um, uh, with quite a lot of uh, global deployments on our platform, which is not so known because it's a white-labeled uh, yeah. offering. You know, a lot of like, you know, clients like Siemens Mindsphere, for example, base their technology okay. on ours, uh, partly at least, or, you know, Adamos Group, uh, machine manufacturers here in Germany, like Kalmaya, Zeiss, Dürer, um, Engel, um, uh, DMG Mori. Uh, but it's not so known because the end product is branded with their own brand as a digital service. Yeah? So, but all of that is very important capabilities yeah? in terms of um, the market vision we have, which is a truly connected world. So everything will be connected. Mm -hmm. you know, the physical world and the virtual world converting, and, and there's a lot of data points, a lot of data generators like the machine or you know, consumer products or you know, in smart city use cases, for yeah. example, you know, parking sensors. We have sensors, actuators, and, and connected machines and things everywhere. And in and, and that world, the capability I just mentioned yeah, plays a massive role. And that's what we want to do. We want to um, help our clients, our customers, master the challenges of a truly connected world. Yeah? I, maybe because it's so important, I believe, if I still have time to give you an example of a client there. Sure. It's a retail uh, client, a retail company. And, and they, you know, the CIO of that retail company did the last 20 years manage the, the typical retail IT systems. You know? But during the last two years or so, he got actually, uh, he was requested 
to also manage stores, mm -hmm. store environments. Yep. So that's what we in the industrial Internet of Things we call ITOT, yep. yeah? information technology, operational technology. In the retail environment, and we see a merger. Suddenly, you know, this guy who's done, he did IT, now suddenly live, delivers marketing input about how many people enter the store, where they are, on which shelf yeah. area. He does even cash management now. He has connected all the all the cash machines. Yeah. You know, does real time cash management. He even does energy management. There's these fridges and so on, so he optimizes the consumption of these through connected uh, uh, experiences. Yeah. Or then he even, you know, you sometimes you see in the veget vegetable um, uh, area these um, display units, electric, uh, uh, electronic, uh, you know, price yeah. uh, displays or mm -hmm. signage type of um, yeah. uh, price information signs. So the, he manages that you know, in stores. So something, you know, he did 20 years, he said, okay, I've seen everything. Yeah. But now that person started to uh, 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 involve into what I would call a truly connected world reality, mm -hmm. because it's so much broader and wider the complexities nowadays. Yeah. Yeah? And, and our technology can help in these situations. We help actually um, uh, companies and, 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 and operations to, to strive in these environments and to differentiate and to optimize their processes. And how do you, s I mean, that's where Software Gay is going and, mm -hmm. and you see the role of, of Software Gay as a company. How do you see yourself in, in, in evolving in the next five years? I mean, you're, um, you came from big corporate, then in a startup, built it into a big uh, mid-sized company, got acquired by Software Gay. Um, now you're seven months the CTO of, of Software IG. How do you see your, yourself evolving in, mm. uh, in, in this technology world? So I, I see myself, um, you know, on the CTO role I'm having at the moment. I'm enjoying it a lot. Mm -hmm. It's fun. It's really, it's nice uh, yeah. because it adds uh, new um, uh, elements to my job. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, for example, now I'm sometimes, you know, flying to New York and have a, a roadshow with hedge fund managers, you know, something cool. I haven't done before. <laughs> yeah. I enjoy that, you know, yeah. because I kind of try to understand their perspective, what are they interested in, looking at, so, so for example, investor relations in a very yeah. different way because we are a stock traded company. Oh, yeah. Before I had my venture capital uh, relationships, different. but that's, uh, that's different. They have yeah. different motivations and so yeah. on. And so in that sense, I currently, I, I have a, um, you know, a strong, uh, you know, a strong uh, satisfaction uh, by by doing what I'm doing, and I don't uh, foresee myself, you know, doing something else in the near in the foreseeable future. Yeah. You know? So, with this, Bernd, I would like to thank you for your time and for your hospitality here. Um, I, I think it was an excellent uh, conversation. We learned a lot. We uh, got to uh, we got to know you a little bit better, I think, and, okay. um, and what drives you and what is what's how you are wired as a as as a digital leader. So, thank you very much. Thank you very much for your time. Thank okay. you. Thank you.